Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom Aleichem, Jim, and shalom to all our listeners. Shalom, Rabbi. Hi from the Ozarks, where the hills are rolling with water and green leaves and slowly returning to normal. Is it that way in Yerushalayim, in the holy city right now? Is it returning to normal? Well, Jim, normal is a big word. It is. Maybe, maybe regular is a word we should use. <laughs> normal, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen in my whole life. But as far as COVID is concerned, yes, um, thank God things are returning really pretty much to, to normal, um, slowly, slowly. And the edicts, various edicts about green passes and purple badges and limitations on on gatherings and and um, certain venues being open only to the vaccinated, all that seems to be coming to an end pre- pretty much within the next uh, couple of weeks as uh, Israel is considered to be ahead of the game, at least in that game, at least in terms of COVID. And there's so much else that's going on. I, I really feel we we need to relate to, you know, this week's Torah portion, Parshat Bahalotcha, which literally means when you cause to rise up, when you caught, when you kindle the menorah, Hashem tells Moshe to speak to Aaron in the beginning of chapter eight of the book of Numbers and give instructions. When you when you kindle the menorah, the lights of the lamp, toward the face of the menorah shall the seven lamps be be lit. And this is the whole concept of the the seven branched candelabra and how actually all the flames are facing the middle flame. There's so many questions about why the menorah is mentioned now and not back in Exodus when the commandment was given to fashion the menorah. Why not in Leviticus where the temple service was detailed? So here we are basically right smack dab in the middle of the desert, Jim, Yeah. in this week's Torah portion. And the portion opens with this beautiful mention of the golden menorah and Aaron's compliance with with the instructions of making sure that the that the flames are kindled every day and and then, and then this torah portion is really the most amazing kind of like um varied sampler of so many different aspects of of um the life led by this generation in the desert and don't forget that this generation you know this is the second year now right and and um it's the generation that stood at mount sinai received torah and witnessed the miracles of the exodus and it's the generation of knowledge they're called dor hadeah dor hamidbar which is the generation of the wilderness is the dor hadeah the generation of knowledge and they had this experiential relationship with Hashem it's literally experiential because they of the things that they that they saw and and witnessed and they were an incredibly spiritual uh, group of people they there never will be according to our sages another generation as holy as virtuous as consecrated as these people they were they they were they were just kind of like um I don't know how to describe it. They were they were so close to Hashem. Listen, they they ate the manna, which of course is a is a tremendously rigorous spiritual discipline that that re- required a tremendous amount of integrity just to tolerate you know the spiritual food. They drank the water from from Miriam's well. Their clothes grew with them. You know the uh, uh, the entire uh, time that they were traveling, their their feet never blistered. 
they were because they were protected by the clouds, the divine, uh, cl the clouds of divine glory, whatever, whatever that even means. They were mm -hmm. they were on this incredible level, and yet you know what I'm going to say, right? And yet they were also the most dismal failures that we have in in Jewish history. It's such an incredible paradox and paradigm at the same time of 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 again, you know, Torah never hides the truth Torah never uh, whitewashes and, and never and never tries to make excuses even for great people so I think we've already mentioned that this book the book of numbers is is called by many people the book of mistakes it's clearly a, a yeah. record of tests it's, it's a generation that was tested all the time and that tested Hashem all, all the times and in this partial we're going to see it and they made so many mistakes, on, and ultimately, again, right now, as we as we begin this Torah portion of Bahalutcha, it's still business as usual. God willing, we're still en route to the promised land, and and nothing's changed yet. But very very soon, in fact, next week, unfortunately, uh, we will read in Parshat B'Shalach of the total, the total breakdown of everything, and the total, the total failure with the terrible sin of the spies and their Lashon Hara, their slander against the land of Israel, something which is very politically correct today, by the way, slander against the land of Israel. Um, and then it was being perpetrated by Jews. And in fact, today there's plenty of Jews that are slandering the land of Israel also, but they're taking cues from all sorts of uh, wonderful people like actors and but anyway, I'll get to that, Jim. Believe me, I'll get to that. <laughs> the point is, they made they made they made mistakes this generation, and ultimately, yeah. un, they they did not appreciate what Hashem was doing for them. They did not appreciate what the land of Israel meant, and they thought. And, and this is one way of looking, and we'll get to this next week in Parshat Shalach. But one way of understanding it on a very deep level is that they thought they were better off in the desert. Yeah. They thought that they that that it, maybe Israel was too holy, maybe that they they couldn't do it. Anyway, so here they are, traveling around in the desert, and we begin with the menorah. Then we have the whole idea of the consecration, the sanctification of the Levites, who are basically going to be responsible for the people. They are the teachers, and they are the they are the ones who are bringing about everything by bringing about the the blessing of Hashem in the world through the through the tabernacle. And then, of course, we have the incredible commandment of the second Passover. And isn't this one of the rare instances where the people of Israel take the initiative and they go to Moses and say, ask God something for exactly. us? It is so amazing because it was this earthly initiative of a group of people who were so dedicated to Hashem's commandments, who were so in love with being part of the nation and not wanting to be left out. And through no fault of their own, they had been exempted from the Passover offering. They were not able to bring it, but they said, how could that be? How could we not participate in something so important? And Hashem literally invented, he opened up a conduit of light. He, he presented a new commandment, which obviously he had already planned, but he was just waiting for us to ask. He was waiting for us to ask. And so, you know, we, we refer to this whole concept of the second Passover as the holiday of second chances. Yeah. And the whole idea that Hashem will give us a second chance. But even for the second chance, you have to come forward and say, please give me another chance. I'm saying, you know, this is a slice of life, this Parsha. And I would, if I had to give it a, a subtitle, I would, I would call it Life in the Desert. Mm -hmm. Life in the Desert. This is about a nation that is traversing 
a lot of obstacles and a lot of wilderness to get to where they're going. And the metaphor is clear and um, begging to be uh, to be seen. This is our lives. This is our lives in the desert of our of our vain strivings and in, of our attempts also to serve Hashem. Uh, with with everything that we have and and with, considering who we are and there, and there's so much more there's the the complaining which we're going to speak about soon and the and the divine signs of traveling and the the lashon hara that that Aaron and Miriam seem to have spoken against Moshe and the and the traveling of the ark of the covenant with the upside down nuns just so much in in the, in the Torah portion and I think it's extremely contemporary because it's about a generation that's basically in search of itself, about a generation that is really in love with Hashem, but doesn't really know how to express that and doesn't really, and isn't really yet ready for that responsibility. That's what they're ultimately going to prove. And so they, they have this tremendous experiential knowledge of Hashem. They have this tremendous burning desire in their hearts, but, but they're people and we're only people. Mm-hmm. And the whole deal with the complaining is just so, so incredible how they literally, you know, you know, the verse actually indicates that they, it wasn't even a natural craving. They cultivated a craving. Mm-hmm. They wanted to crave. They wanted to complain. They were basically looking for something to complain about. Aren't they having a, like a, re- a repeat of the Gan Eden experience? They're, they're enclosed in this wonderful area. They are given everything, and and again, they're tempted by. And you're talking about imagination, aren't you? So that that's the thing, Jim. You're you're saying a very deep thing there, but ostensibly, everything is about Ganade, and everything is always about making a tikkun, about getting back to the garden, and about fixing it. But the the real the real problem is that that the nation that was scheduled and destined and commanded and being being coddled and brought by Hashem to be brought into the land of Israel when the nation was to enter into the land that was to be the rectification of the garden of eden yeah. they there can't be a garden of eden like experience in the desert so if they thought they were having one it was an illusion yeah because the real rectification of the garden of eden is to go into the land and to stop eating the manna just like, mm-hmm. just like we learned about it, Joshua, the day they crossed the border, the manna stopped and they had to be people and they had to cultivate the land and they had to, they had to produce. That's what the Garden of Eden is really all about because Hashem took man out of the garden. What does it say there back in Bereshit that he placed him in the land to work the soil from which he had been taken, which is not just working the soil, but working in this world to reveal godliness through the material. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what our lives in Israel are supposed to be about, working to reveal godliness through every aspect of our lives. The Garden of Eden-like aspect of it is the fact that this is the place that Hashem chose. This is the yeah. place that Hashem wants us to be in. This is the place that our presence in in this land will bring about a, a tremendous difference to our nation and to the whole world. But it is definitely a, definitely a challenge. Speaking well, you, of which. Yeah. You have to survive to be able to do that though, don't you? Exactly. Exactly. So, so here's the thing, I, you know, Jim, I, I, how should I say this? I'm not, I'm not hesitant. I am, I am, um, um, perturbed and it is a very lying lying on my heart very very heavy the things that i feel that i have to talk about in in today's broadcast because the past two weeks we've been we've been trying to issue some some cl- some clarity about what's been going on what's really been going on in israel and what israel has been up against 
and details that apparently many people were not aware of, of, of what's, what Israel's been really facing in, the, in this war with Hamas and in the repercussions that it created within Israel in terms of our own, our own inner turmoil as well. And uh, some people were saying, oh, you know, uh, some listeners were saying, you know, get, get back to talking about the Torah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you and I, I know we're on the same page. We believe this, this is the Torah because the Torah is reality. The Torah, just like this week's Torah portion, it's, it's these real people that are going through these things and that are striving for Hashem with all, their, with all their souls, with all their might, with all their hearts, but they make mistakes. Torah is about being firmly implanted in in this world and serving Hashem in this world and and we can't um, ignore what is going on now because uh, frankly I think that we're in a very uh, unprecedented period of of history right now and I think it's a question of life and death and so and so you know uh, maybe some people would just like to have a nice quiet relaxed lecture about the beauty of the Torah well if the Jewish people don't survive, you ain't going to have any Torah, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, so, so that should be a concern of yours and as a listener. And also your concern should be, well, what does this have to do with you? Because it has a lot to do with you. What is, what is your relationship? And so uh, there are things that, that um, must be addressed. And so I, I want to I talk about uh, things that are heavy, heavy, heavy on my heart and that I feel our listeners need to really understand. For, first of all, just in the past month, anti-Semitic acts in the United States of America have soared by 80%. We are not just seeing random, like thug-like gang-related or individual attacks against Jews. We're talking about a, a call for violence against the Jewish community that is being broadcast in social media. We're talking about uh, we're talking about widespread disinformation about Jews and about Israel. Organized. We're talking about clear calls for violence against Jews, deliberately being spread online. And the question, one of the questions, is going to be, well, what is what, are, what is major media saying about that, and what are the tech giants and what are the media platforms doing about it? You might be wondering. So let's start with this one statement I'm making to you today as a point of fact: anti-Semitic acts in the United States in the past month have gone up by 80%. I'm talking about acts of vandalism of synagogues and Jewish businesses from Oregon to Virginia. I'm talking about synagogue desecrations from Illinois to Arizona. I'm talking about people being attacked, about children's playgrounds being endobbed with swastikas in New York and Tennessee, as well as Jewish cemeteries, right? All this ostensibly, ostensibly means, you know, apparently or on a surface level or presumably it's commensurate to the intensified uh, social media hostilities of different groups that were that were commensurate to the to the hostilities between Israel and Hamas, right? Which ended with a, with a ceasefire this past Friday, and so around the world we're seeing all of these violent attacks. And and it could be that people say, "What are you talking about?" And that and that bothers me even more when people are not aware of what's going on. And but but I understand they're not aware because believe it or not. These things are not really being related by the major media, but around the world, not only in, in the United States, we're seeing violent attacks on Jews walking down the street last night. 
right? Today is Wednesday, the 26th of May, of May, as we're at Mike. Last night, a 67-year-old man was attacked by a 20-year-old on a street in Brooklyn when he was just going into the synagogue. But we have seen, and there are videos of this all over social media, we have seen bombs thrown at Jews standing on the corner in Manhattan or dining outside. We have seen, we have seen, uh, all sorts of, uh, attacks. And the thing is, what's more alarming maybe even than, than the attacks themselves is that the only really vocal response has been basically coming from the Jewish community itself, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been, uh, addressed and all of these attacks have been cheered on by mobs of like young clean-cut looking people so this is not just like an isolated event it's not it's not just like a, oh there's a handful of bigots that seem to be taking over no this is like a it's been called in one article a wholesale abandonment of the jewish people yeah now i have to tell you something former president donald trump was banned from social media sites okay but in uh, a four-hour period on May 13th, the tweet, Hitler was right, was shared, tweeted, what do you ever, whatever you call it, 17,000 times. So Donald Trump was banned from Twitter, but yet Twitter did nothing about a, a tweet that said Hitler was right 17,000 times this older woman, this Holocaust survivor, her TikTok account was, was, was just trashed by people saying like, Hitler be blessed and what you're still alive. And does this remind you of the camps and they will come back for you. Hashtags like Hitler was right and Zion Nazi and free Palestine, all sorts of things, right? So what do you have? You have this, you've had viral social media campaigns and official campaigns for Black Lives Matter and for Stop Asian Hate. And Media companies have have stood up to hatred and and they've promoted content, especially designed to 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 fight prejudice. But with all this increase in online and in person hatred against Jews, nobody seems to be saying anything. One of those uh, tweets that said Hitler was right. It was attributed to a woman who worked for the BBC. Oh, what they were trying to say that she tweeted that in 2014, and she's only been working for the BBC since 2017. And they'll look into it. They'll look yeah. into it. <laughs> Amazing. So, but Jim, if Black Lives Matter, everybody agrees to that. Stop Asian hate, of course, but Jewish lives don't matter. That is the bottom line. And the funny thing is, it's like, well, if this is about Israel. If this is about the government of Israel, that you think that the government of Israel is horrible, the way they treated the so-called Palestinians in Gaza, what does that have to do with attacking uh, two men outside a bagel shop in midtown Manhattan or a group of men draped in kafiyas uh, asking the diners who, who's Jewish at a sushi restaurant in West Hollywood and then beating them, Yeah. right? Or an American soccer player named Luca Lewis was cornered by a by a gang of men in New York demanding to know if he was a Jew. And he said, what if I, what if I told you I was? They say, and then he, they said, then we'll, we'll cut you. We'll cut you to pieces. Mm -hmm. So, so, so you, you have all of these incredible things going on. A synagogue in Skokie was vandalized and in Tucson and in Salt Lake. Was this all because Israel is defending itself? Is it all because Israel's portrayed as the aggressor? It's open season for attacks on Jews. And you see that 
that Jewish lives don't matter and people are not mentioning this and it's not being reported by mainstream media <laughs> in New York. The situation is so bad that people are being told by rabbis not to wear their kippot outside and Jews are, are afraid to leave their homes. So someone commented on, on um, last week's program. Someone, someone wrote the following comment they wrote. I'm tired of, quote, someone wrote, I'm tired of hearing your one-sided negative political opinions when will you call out the corruptions within the Republican ranks? Please stick to Torah studies and leave your partisan opinions out. You have both made it clear that you cling to conservative values as though they reflect righteousness, which they do not. Wow, Rabbi, so, how, how dare you defend the, the Jewish people? You're <laughs> how dare I cling to conservative values as oh if they reflect God. righteousness? So I, I just want to say something. I'm sure she's a very nice lady, but I just want to say something. You have every right in the world to change the channel. This is my podcast. And Jim and I are are basically having a conversation. I don't know why you're listening to it. I thought you liked it. If you don't like it, don't torture yourself. There's a lot of podcasts. You don't have to listen to this one. But I have something else to say. And that is if you are listening to it, and if anyone is listening to what we have to say, first of all, this is Torah. Again, this is Torah, because what the Jewish people are going through in this world today, because of who they are, because of what they represent, because they believe in the one God of Israel, th this is Torah. So if you're here because you have a thing for the God of Israel, you have a problem because, <laughs> excuse me for saying it, I know it's not PC, but God is a Zionist. Amen. The God of Israel is a Zionist. He chose the land of Israel and he brought the people of Israel there. So we have a, we have a problem. But, but back to, to this lady, I have to quote, I guess I'm going to be proving to you that I'm everything that you think I am, but I, and I never do this, but I'm going to quote Ben Shapiro. Okay, here's what Ben Shapiro said. It's a very important statement that he made. He, he said, there's nothing I despise more than the notion that I am supposed to shut up because your truth trumps the truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's just the truth. Amen. So all I'm really trying to do now is report to you what's going on and ask you why it's going on. Because if the question is, if, is this all, is all these attacks that are taking place now against Jews all over the world, and it's unprecedented. It is unprecedented in our time, certainly in, since the time of the Second World War. So is it about the legitimacy of the, the legitimacy of the state of Israel? Is it about recognizing the legitimacy of the state of Israel? Because if that's the case, that's one problem. And it, and it really is an issue why we have to prove our legitimacy. But what does it have to do with, with a guy wearing a kippah eating sushi in West Hollywood? Oh, you mean it's not about being an Israeli. It's about being a Jew. So, so you mean to say if a Jew eating sushi, kosher sushi, of course, and it's very good in West Hollywood is a legitimate target because he's a Jew. So then I was right all along when you talk about how you're not against Jews, you're only against Zionists, but I was right. It's not about Zionists, it's about Jews. Right. So, so is this the question that, the question of whether or not we have a right to exist, right? And even, even regarding our allies, right? President Biden finally chimed in against uh, all of the, the terrible uptick in anti-Semitism all across America saying it's despicable and it has to stop. Okay, thank you very much. But on the other hand, President Biden is basically, um, he is um, 
purifying Iran, right? He he is he wants to get Iran back to back to the, the family of nations and and back to the back to the deal. But there's another news story which is being reported just today that um, Iran now has reached sixty um, percent of enrichment. And, and it can no longer be returned to where it stood before the 2015 deal. And the uh, International Atomic Energy a Agency chief, Rafael Grossi, said only countries making bombs are reaching 60% level. Okay. Oh. So this is very, very strange. But anyway, so besides the, his take on Iran, um, the president, President Biden, is also walking back President Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel undisputed and also Israel's Israel's legal presence in Judea and Samaria and also the Golan Heights and also uh, within, within and, and also he's also um, resuming payments to the Palestinian Authority, which uses yes, which has admitted and is on record as using American f money to pay terrorists who murder Jewish men, women, and children is called pay for slay. And yeah. they have a life, lifetime stipend when they, pay, when they kill Jews. And these are our peace partners. This is not the Hamas government of Gaza. This is, this is the PA. So, and then besides that, there's the whole concept of everything that's going on within the Democratic Party. I'm not a Democrat and I'm not a Republican. I could care less. It's Hashem and the Torah that I care about. But the point is that within the Democratic Party, there is um, the squad. There are these, what do they call progressive um, um, members like representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Talib who want a, a shift away from Israel and who want to see uh, a, a, um, a block put on all, all, all support of Israel. And then there's uh, over 500 Biden campaign staffers wrote him a letter urging him to, quote, hold Israel accountable, hold Israel accountable. Hold Israel accountable for what? For, for living through this? Anyway, I have a few things to say, okay? State of Israel is generally recognized by freedom-loving countries. I'll tell you who it's not, loving, who it's not recognized by. You can, you can tell me if you identify with that country. It's not recognized by North Korea. And it's not recognized by Iran. But the State of Israel, which just fought a terrorist organization that runs a strip of land that fires upon a civilian popu population from within its own civilian population. Okay. Uh, the state of Israel is a state. All these people that are, I mean, I mean the sheer amount of horrible anti-Semitic rhetoric that's going on in the world of Twitter and all the social media that's based on absolute lies and ignorance is so ridiculous. For example, they talk about Israel being an apartheid country. Jim, do they understand when pe people who write that, AOC, Democrats, when they write that, do they understand that the Arabs in Israel have full political rights, just like the Jews, that, that there is no difference whatsoever within the state of Israel by the Jew, between the Jewish citizens and the Israeli citizens. And by the way, I'm talking about the Israeli Arabs who we just saw rioting and pogromming and terrorizing and lynching mm -hmm. in Lod and in Jaffa 
and in other places in Jerusalem, burning down synagogues night after night. These are these Israeli Arabs. There is no apartheid in the state of Israel. There are Israeli Arabs who are doctors and surgeons and, and lawyers and judges, and they have complete full full democratic rights, just like the Jews. The place where they don't have the full rights is in the PA controlled territory that we're supposed to be negotiating with them for peace. But the PLO, which became the never changed its charter. Not only Hamas, but Arafat himself clearly said that their goals have nothing to do with the 1967 six-day war territories that were that were that were liberated by Israel, but that it has everything to do with the entire state of Israel, which must be dismantled from the river to the sea. The charter of Hamas is cause for the murder of every Jew all over the world. The charter of the PLO, which is the basis of of the PA territories, calls for the total dismantlement of the state of Israel. And, and they say it's got nothing. So all this talk, Blinken is here now talking about the two-state solution, the two-state solution. We're going to live in peace side by side. They're, they don't want us here at all, anywhere. So that's right. as far as all of the uh, as, as as all of these accusations about Israel being an apartheid state. It's absolutely ridiculous because what do you you don't even know what you're talking about? What you ever hear? Are you talking about the borders of the state of Israel where Israeli Arabs have full rights in everything, in, in voting, in everything? Do they have? Does their government of the PA give them their rights in the Palestinian-controlled territories? You have to ask. That's a different question. And in Gaza. Gaza is administered by a by a fully by an, an, an organization that's fully recognized by the United States of America as being a terrorist organization that is terribly abusive to its own people. But yet, every time Israel bombed up a target in which we knew was being used by their commanders and their fighters, they warned, they called, they they warned every single residence. There was a, there's a whole thing on on one of the social media platforms about uh, about a, a Gaza resident saying that he's ignoring the warnings because he wants to die a martyr, right? So they're not going to. They're, they're, so so we warn them, and then the media shows all this damage that that Israel caused. And the whole question that's being, that's being considered by everyone is, do we have the right to defend ourselves? Don't we have the right to defend ourselves? Was it disproportionate? Why do they have so many losses? And in the meantime, the, the, the whole, lopping this whole thing together, calling it uh, apartheid and calling it occupation, there, there is no occupation. There is the return of an indigenous people that has roots going back over 3,000 years in this land, a return to our own land. America is, is an occupier. America is a, is a colonization. Look, the U.S. Palestinian Community Network tweeted, the world would be better off, the world would be better, hashtag the world would be better if and when Zionism is defeated so that all people of historical Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. That is a call for genocide. Yeah. Because from the river to the sea means that there won't be any any Israel left. Now, now again, read the letter written by Chief Seattle of the Duwamish tribe to President Pierce in 1855. It's a very famous letter that he wrote about the plans of the United States government 
to buy their land and to put them on a reservation. And you get a very a strong feeling from that letter. It, you can look it up and you'll have it in a second. Chief Seattle's letter to Washington in 1855. And you'll see how an indigenous people feels about its connection to its land. But the point is, again, that that's your problem. What happened in America to that to that population and what you did to them. But in the meantime, talking about Palestine, there is no... Palestinian flag prior to 1967, there's no currency. Ask how, what was the population of Palestine? What was their capital? No one has ever asked these questions all through the years until it was seen by the, by the Arab League as a, like we discussed last week, as a, as a strategic device to further their war against Israel. There, there are 22 Arab states and one Jewish state. But for the Arabs, this one Jewish state is is one too many and therefore totally unacceptable. But the point is that this this whole banner is being raised by all these people who consider themselves to be freedom fighters and who consider themselves to be on the side of right and this and the, and, and and everybody who is uh, who is um, a, a, a supporter of BLM and all the other social justice movements assume that Israel must be the aggressor and they must be the one the ones that are that are um at fault and and but again all the result of all of this is that american streets in areas where there are jewish populations and in, and in areas where there are muslim populations are seeing things like convoys of cars with palestinian flags people coming out of their cars and just beating jews and I'm afraid that this is increasing in number because they seem to believe, and it seems to be true, that there's a, there's a certain tolerance. And it's only minimally, minimally objected to, both by police and by elected officials, and that is a fact. Yeah. Thank you for listening, Jim. I, and, I think, and by the way, I just would say one more sentence, that the founder sure. of Hamas, senior Hamas leader Mahmoud al-Zahar, just told Sky News in an interview that Israel does not have the right to exist whatsoever. And again, therefore, this whole deal, ceasefire, not ceasefire, we bought five years of quiet, and what, what does the State Department think, and what does America expect from us? This is not going to end. It's not going to end because it's about Jewish existence altogether. Exactly. And a place to exist. I mean, what is amazing to me are the thousands, no, the millions of people who profess to read their Bibles. And I know that many of them are on the side of Israel on this. But but this is the reason that the progressive realm wants to get rid of the Bible, wants to get rid of the Torah, because your Torah in so many places attaches you to the very land that you sir, are now living on. What is it, something like over 300 uh, commandments in the Torah that are prefaced, their commandments given, they are prefaced with the words from God when he says to you, when you enter the land. The honest truth is that the entire Torah, the entire Torah was given for the people of Israel to observe in the land of Israel. That's right. the whole program. The Torah is also a, a living document that is the mandate for you to live in your land by the laws written down for you as a nation. And the mandate was to be a priesthood to the planet. I think archaeology, not I think, I believe archaeology and history 
uh, proves abundantly that you have a connection to that land. I guess, I yeah. guess so. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess it's, so that it's, King David was, was king in Jerusalem uh, over 3,000 years ago. And so, and so uh, it, it's so much more than that because th- when the people of Israel are in this land, you talk about being a priest or you talk about, you talk about, about uh, uh, doing something for the world. Okay, so the world just celebrated Bob Dylan's 80th birthday. He's a Jew. Mm-hmm. The world is always talking about the genius of Albert Einstein, another Jew, but that's not the point. The point is that when the people of Israel are living according to the word of the God of Israel in the land of Israel, there is a, a chemical reaction. There is a, there is a, a, a unit. It's, they're all three parts of one unit and it creates a state of excellence mm-hmm. for the whole world. And ironically, that state of excellence is called Sion. Zion. Zion, yeah. I've explained this before. The word Sion is the same word that is used as a grade, as a mark on a report card for a child. It, it, means a, it means excellence. That's really what it means because that creates a state of excellence for the whole world because God's plan for the, for the revelation of his unity and for his, for his existence to all mankind comes about through Israel. Yeah, and it's no mistake. What, what, what is it? What yeah. does everyone want from us now? What What is it? So this, yeah. so this letter, over 500 Biden campaign staffers urge him to hold Israel accountable, and they write, we see horrific violence that unfolded in recent weeks in Israel backslash Palestine, okay? And we, it's calling upon Biden to work to end the underlying conditions of occupation, blockade, and settlement expansion, that led to this exceptionally destructive period in a 73-year history of dispossession and ethnic cleansing. This is just written by people who hate Jews, and some yeah. of them might be Jews. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But what are you talking about? What dispossession? Where are the ones that were dispossessed? Where are the ones that were dispossessed? What ethnic cleansing? We're the ones who, ha- who, who had to expel 10,000 Jews from an area, which is now Judenrein. Not one Jew is allowed to be in Gaza, and we're doing ethnic cleansing. So, so what exactly is, is, is the crime that we're committing other than we're basically really trying to survive? So none, none of these voices are even speaking about, they're, they're acting as if we started it. They're acting as if the, it, it, the fact that, Ham, even if they admit that Hamas was firing missiles at Israel, they're acting as if that's also our fault. That's also somehow our fault. I want to know if America, America or any other army in the world, if you ever heard of an army that regularly and constantly and without exception warns its targets to please leave because we're going to bomb you. Who does that? Yeah, exactly. Disinformation and ignorance of history is what fuels much of this. And it's allowed to, people are allowed to say these things about Israel. But a lot of it is just wildly illogical hatred and animosity. It's just, it's not anti-Zionism, it's not anti-Zionism, it's Jew hatred. And that's the only explanation I can give for the uh, leftist squad of what they call the progressives. And, 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 and this, the whole suggestion that the fight between Israel and Hamas was an unfair fight and unbalanced because, because Israel is too strong. Like we have, we're, we're actually being made to feel guilty that we 
were able to to survive this fight like like it wasn't fair like we had that we should have had more we should have had more casualties <laughs> it's just mind-boggling yeah. yeah and and for those who think that we're you know we're not talking about torah i, I remind them to look at this week's torah parsha which opens up with this beautiful uh, description of the menorah and the lights being directed to the central shaft and rabbi what is the national symbol of the state of israel the menorah the whole symbol even speaks of unity and for those of you who, who object to the show today i'm saying this is this is light we're, we're we're shining some light on the lies that are being spread about god's people and and the nation that he called to be a, a priesthood I, I, my life is not about entertainment i'm not an entertainer and that's not what this program is about and so if if someone is dissatisfied please leave you know it's not a democracy right it's our program but i'm offended <laughs> i'm offended if you think that that you know we're, we're not um up to par because uh, I guess for you, if you feel that way, it's not life and death. It's mm -hmm. not about your children. So you're a spectator if that's how you feel. But yes, this is Torah because it's a Torah of life. And the mandate of the Jewish people is to bring that light to the world. That's what this organization, Jerusalem Lights, is, is all about. And it's about uh, the commonality that we have, the unity that we have as people serving Hashem, discovering Him in this world, discovering the, the beauty of what it means to be a human being and, and the treasures of, of Torah. But those treasures are rooted in this land and never before in the, in the living memory of most of our listeners, never before has the state of Israel, the land of Israel needed your support and understanding and knowledge like it does now and unity mm -hmm. because we are being subjected to this onslaught of vicious hatred and that's all it is no so and, so again i apologize if we, if i'm not dead if that's what you wanted but you know that's not that's not it right now we're still here and and that's basically the bottom line is that is that the world doesn't seem those factions those voices in the world can't seem to forgive us for still being here yeah and um, admit it. That's that's really what it's all about. But again, uh, more than anything that I read to you, all these facts and details about the things that have been going on in the past few days, if you didn't hear about it, that bothers me even more. Because it's not being reported. Because, you know, and it's not being reported because it's not about black lives and it's not about Asians being attacked. For some reason, I don't know, we're not intersectional enough. We're not, we're not, you know, we're not considered to be uh, a cause, you know, we're, we're the bad guys. So you'll have to think about why that is exactly. That's up to you to decide. But it is a fact. Yeah. And, 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 and one thing I am not asking for is sympathy or anything like that. I'm asking for action. I am asking for faith, that's for sure. I'm asking for everyone, for, for Jews and non-Jews, to redouble their, their connection to Hashem, their, their observance, their understanding of, of how important it is to bring Hashem's light into the world and to be an example and to, and to remember all the things that we've been learning about the past few weeks about love your neighbor and about what it, what it really means to emulate the divine attributes during the Sefirot Omer and all of the things that matter that are the measure of a person in this world, how we treat other people. I'm asking you to remember all of that. And I'm, and I'm more than anything asking you to take a stand and speak the truth. I mean, the very fact that we have this debate, that, we're, that we have to look over our shoulders and ask, but, but, but you do think we have the right to defend ourselves, right? Excuse me, like, do you ever ask 
if you have the right to defend yourself, is that a, is it a question? The, the whole thing is so absurd, so absurd. Amen. I left you speechless, Jim. <laughs> well, I, I uh, because I can't articulate it any better than than you can and you're you're living it too that's that's what's amazing and and i i don't want to i hate to remind our our listeners i probably don't have to but i mean what really scares me to death is the fact that the iranians are reaching uh, uh, they have a goal that they will have the ability you know somebody in the past they have but, it now and they've, yeah. they've been saying it for years well, what it, they've been saying yeah. it for years what i was going to say is is that that you know hitler tried it and thank god he he didn't he didn't uh, complete what he thought was his mission but what's frightening is the fact that they're at a point where they can vaporize an entire nation and after that they'll come after the rest the rest of us who don't submit because for them, it's all about submission to their uh, their ideological. First of stance. all, I want to clarify that I'm not worried because first of all, there's a God in the world. There is a creator. And that's all there is in the world, by the way. Mm -hmm. But there's also Israel. And just like we went in and took a warehouse full of their documents and we can we can do all sorts of things, I'm sure. Uh, as Netanyahu very recently, in fact, on this trip currently that the Secretary of State is here, Netanyahu made it very clear that if we have to act on our own against Iran, we will. And I'm sure that, that, that Hashem should bless us and guide the brave men and women that are in the security services. And I'm sure that we'll bring it down to the ground yeah. before that happens. But the question is really, what about the world? What about, what about a world in which this can happen? What about a world that remains silent? What about a world, like you say, that they'll come next for them? And and that's the that's really the what is most worrisome and most disturbing about the whole situation today that that's being basically either san, um, sanitized mm -hmm. or yeah. accepted or or uh, or even uh, just uh, somehow uh, surreptitiously encouraged. The worst aspect of this, Rabbi, is in in this country. I'm sad to report to you that that I, I think a lot of people are bored by the subject. That's that is frightening. And it, it's the, the old the, the old uh, canard, the cycle of violence. The, it's the bully coming out into the schoolyard and and uh, slapping people around. And then when somebody takes them on, the, the bully yells and says, somebody hit me. It's schoolyard tactics is what it is. Just in honor of, D of Dylan's 80th birthday, Jim, <laughs> on the 1983 album Infidels, that there's the song Neighborhood Bully. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's well known that that song is exactly what you're describing. Neighborhood Bully is, is describing the state of Israel. So again, there's so many things going on in this Torah portion. It's it's just such an amazing kind of um, uh, kaleidoscope vision of so many different things that that concern this generation, that concern all of us. And one of the most beautiful ideas is that which is spelled out in chapter nine, and that is the divine signs of the the movements of the camp of Israel, the the cloud that covered the tabernacle. Uh, and the, uh, the, the uh, during the day and that pillar of fire at night and how when it was time for the camp of Israel to move, they would know because the, the cloud would start to move. And sometimes the camp of Israel would be in a place for a short period of time. 
and sometimes for a, a longer period of time. And this is describing the, the, all the way stations in, in the desert. But the, the amazing thing is the expression that uh, the Torah uses here describing these movements and how you know, they, would, they would be ready to move when the cloud would start to move according to the word of Hashem. And what these, the, these words actually in Hebrew, according to the word of Hashem, it's al-pi Hashem, which really means by the mouth of Hashem. Mm -hmm. So it's like God himself would declare visually to them, it's time to move. To where? You'll find out. It's time to move. And I think that this is so stark and breathtaking, really, this, besides the iconography of, of what it was like for our forefathers in the desert to be being, to receive these divine signs, to know that they're actually being led by Hashem's will. But I think that on our level today, I think it's the same for all of us. Maybe we need to be on a more of a rarefied and sensitive level to be able to see the signs that Hashem is giving us. Maybe we ignore them. Maybe we become so dense that we don't see them. But I think that Hashem directs all of us through all of the various relationships and, and, and situations and machinations and all the things that we go through. Hashem also is leading us to our to our goal and the, the idea of being able to see the sign in our journeys throughout the desert of, of our world, it's, it's such a beautiful thing. There's so much that we learn for our, for our time from these things that are reported in our Parsha. Also, we have this, again, there's, there's so much here, the, the whole concept of the second Passover, we discussed a little bit, the concept of the, the movement of the Ark of the Covenant also, but, and then there's the, 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 um, the new prophets in the camp and the quarantine of, of Miriam who spoke against Moshe. But one of the most, um, you know, powerful uh, ideas is the, is the beginning of chapter 11 that talks about the people that took to seeking complaints. So there were people that took to seeking complaints and Hashem was very, very upset. This in itself is a, a, a huge idea because as we always emphasize, the basis of all of life, the foundation of everything is thankfulness, is recognizing Hashem, His goodness, and saying thank you and being appreciative of what we have. But then there's another group, they're called the rabble. And the rabble that was among them cultivated a craving. And the children of Israel also wept once more. So this rabble, they got the children of Israel to cry and they said, who will feed us meat? We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt free of charge, <laughs> cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our life is parched. There's nothing. We have nothing to anticipate but the manna, which, of course, as you know, was like um, a divine food that would taste like anything. But this verse, the rabble that was among them cultivated a craving, teaches us that the and in Hebrew, it's, it's so blatant because it's hit'avu'ta'ava. literally means that they craved to crave. Yeah. They craved to crave. In other words, they weren't, they weren't craving, but they developed it into like a, an art form. They wanted to want. They wanted to lust. They wanted to, to feel 
attraction for, for for something on a material level because the manna was addressing all of their needs and all of their issues and it was keeping them on a on a higher spiritual level and they looked at themselves and they said and they said we want to be basically we want to f- be free of responsibility yeah is what it really means according to our sages when they said we remember all these foods that we ate free of charge in Egypt, the sages say, I, I don't be ridiculous. The sages say, are you, are you joking? They were, they were not even given straw to make bricks. Do you think that they were, that they had a canteen where they could come with their whistle blue and they had a lunch hour and they had all this free buffet. They weren't <laughs> even given straw. They were never, they were given nothing for free, but it's an illusion. What they were really, what they're really thinking, what they're really saying is we remember the time that we were free of responsibility. That's what they mean. We were free of responsibility. We didn't have to stand up and be the world's morality barometer. We didn't have to stand up as the people of God. We didn't have to stand up and represent the force of good in the world. We didn't have to uh, deal with the barrage and the onslaught of all the criticism in social media because we were able to just be ourselves and have a good time. And that's not what we do. That's not what we don't, we don't have a license for that, unfortunately, in this world. And so, the idea of, of this, this, this rabble cultivating the craving and making the children of Israel cry is basically another, another test and another challenge of realizing what Hashem does for us in this world and the responsibility that he gives us. Yeah. Isn't that the, isn't that the paradox, though? To, be, to want to be completely free of any responsibility is actually a kind of enslavement because, because that craving comes from... Uh, from everything you've just uh, taught us, that enslavement comes from being enslaved to your physical wants and desires. So it's not really freedom. Exactly. It's it's another form of of, of self worship, the yeah. idolatry of the self. Yeah, amazing. By the way, what are you uh, what are you going to explore in the Zoom class this week? What aspect of the parsha? In the in the parsha class or the Zoom class? The, uh, the, the Zoom the, class. I'm the, sorry. Yeah, the Zoom that we that we have um, resumed since the uh, since the festival we had a break in the festivals, and now we have resumed our ongoing series in the Book of Samuel. Amen. We're having an amazing exploration of an in-depth study of the characters of Samuel's parents, Elkanah and Hannah. Samuel the prophet, who of course is the prophet who anointed two kings in Israel, King Saul and King David. So we're having a, a really wonderful study in. The book of Samuel, which is kind of like a, a, a prelude to a study that we're we're uh, um, gliding into slowly, and that is going to be a comprehensive study of King David himself and the implications of the messianic redemption and the sovereignty of Israel. All right. Um, Let's remind all our listeners, if we have any left after today's broadcast, that <laughs> whoever who, whoever would like to participate and join our uh, online Zoom classes um, is welcome to do so. There is no charge, and we would be happy to have you. Just email rabbi at rabbirichman.com for the Zoom login information, and uh, you can join us. Amen. Goodness, uh, it has to get better. It has to get better, and I hope that we will also be able to make that choice and rally around the one God of Israel and everything that the that the state of Israel stands for in this world, which is a a reflection of his presence in this world. And I hope that we will be able to all actively participate in the, in stopping the the hatred and stopping and stopping the attacks and stopping the, 
the vicious slander against the land of Israel and against the people of Israel. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.